Hi, this is Big Talk. Michael Glab here. My guest this week in the studio, Filippo Phil Menzer. Phil, thanks for being on Big Talk. Hi, Michael. Thank you for having me. Phil is a professor of computer science and informatics at the Luddy School of Informatics, Computing, and Engineering. He is doing great research on misinformation, the use of bots, social media networks. It's really been on the front burner of our awareness uh, since the election of 2016, at least. You're in the front lines of trying to find out who's manipulating us. That's right. Yeah, we've been studying this for several years now. Actually, quite a few years before the 2016 elections, we started noticing how social media could be manipulated uh, through astroturfing or fake grassroots campaigns and through inauthentic accounts that we called social bots. We came up with this word. Uh, back in 2010, during the midterm elections there, that's when we started looking at Twitter data ah. and uh, noticing ways to manipulate opinions and to create the impression of things that are not true. Uh, we also found the first instances of fake news websites. And so since then, we've been st studying how to detect this kind of manipulation, why are we vulnerable, what can be done about it. Phil, I did some research on you. I did all my research on the internet. So um, should I be worried that I have a bunch of false information? Uh, not necessarily. There's a lot of good information out there for mm -hmm. people who uh, want to find it. Uh, in fact, you know, I started studying the internet since, uh, you know, since the time that the web was created because uh -huh. just like most other people at, at that age, we were excited about the fact that it would be so easy to find information. Right. And we also believed a little bit naively that uh, there would be a democratization of mm. information and because it would be easy to find the truth or the facts, um, you know, then everybody would be better informed and right. uh, we would all be better off. But uh, at that time, we didn't quite think that in the same way that it's easy to, um, to have, create and access information, it's also equally easy to manipulate uh, the web and and to uh, disseminate misinformation and to manipulate opinions. If I get on the internet, how in the world am I going to find out what is real and what is manufactured information? It's a it's not an easy question uh, because we have a lot of biases and these biases can lead us astray. Um, I would say that before the advent of social media, before social media became the main way in which we access news and information, we already had a pretty robust system for news. We had the you know, professional journalism and we had a lot of uh, reliable news sources. Of course, there was always misinformation. Of course, there was always junk. And of course, there was always, um, you know, efforts to misinform in, in history. You know, mm -hmm. misinformation is as old as uh, humanity. But by and large, in the West, we've had we've had a free press, and we've, uh, you know, we've had norms for journalists, and and uh, it seemed that it would it was relatively easy to 
access reliable information. Mm -hmm. Then, of course, things started changing first with the fragmentation of the media landscape so that uh, some news sources started focusing on small groups of, yeah. of the electorate and to, you know, uh, produce news targeted at those groups. And then that was very popular. So th with the advent of social media, it became even easier for anybody to come up and claim that they are a new sor news source. And, uh, and, it, and the, the technology itself was not developed with this in mind. So it was, and it still is somewhat difficult to determine when you look at a piece of news on your social media feed to know whether it's reliable or not, to understand what is the source. Most people just look at a picture or a headline. And in that case, you're very, very easily misled. And, uh, and we're all vulnerable to this. Um, but if you are intention to verify your sources and to go out there and access reliable news sources that you trust, there's still a lot of good quality information. People can certainly be well informed if they want to. I can conceivably set up a website that says the Real News Network. Oh, there is one. Yeah, there is, that. by the yeah. way, named that. So <laughs> let's not be confused. Let's say we'll call it the True News Network. And I run it. I'm, I'm in charge of it. And I can say Professor Phil Menzer of Indiana University never even graduated high school. I can just put that out there Absolutely. and it'll be disseminated. And some people who maybe are angry about you or don't like you or have had a run in with you, they'll say, you know what? I'll bet that's right. Of course, Phil Menzer never graduated high school. He's a big faker. And then that spreads. It's already happened. <laughs> Not that particular fake news, <laughs> but there are other uh absolutely false and misleading news about us and our research uh, ah. that have been disseminated in low-quality information sources, in fake news sources, and even some that are spreading now. So yes, you absolutely can, and in fact, it's easy to do. We, yeah. many years ago, as part of a research paper, this is before social media were very popular. They didn't exist yet, like tr Twitter and Facebook didn't, but... Um, there were other systems on the web to share links to, right. to news. And uh, at that time, we, as an experiment, I developed one such fake news website, um, which just made up stuff randomly, uh, just randomly generated text. You could put in a name, uh, you know, Michael, and it would say, yeah, Michael has been arrested for drunken driving, whatever. It would just generate fake news automatically. And then we put some Google ads on it and demonstrated that you could make money. And wow. so this is the first time that it was proven and shown that it, would, it was easy to create fake content and to monetize it through advertising. People may think that something is true simply because it resonates with what they believe. Yeah. If you don't like me and you read that I didn't even graduate from high school, you might say, ha, I knew I didn't like that guy. Got You're more likely to believe something because it conforms with your previous opinions. And this is one of the ways where we're all very, very vulnerable to misinformation. Um, one can generate a website for people who don't like this candidate or for people who don't like that candidate or for people who don't believe in this particular scientific fact or for people who are afraid of this particular group of people. And in fact, there are uh, fake news sources uh, that target all of these groups. And then it's very easy on social media to spread misinformation targeting these groups or of people uh, because 
on social media, you are very easily labeled and identified in the community of people like you. You tend to follow people like you. And so you're more likely to be exposed to information or misinformation that uh, is aligned with and reinforces your opinions. And data and web mining is the practice and the process of trying to figure out who all my friends are and what the things I like to do and putting me in a box so that I can be targeted. Yeah, data science and data mining and web mining and machine learning and artificial intelligence are all uh, things that can be used and in fact are used for good things and for bad things. Right. Um, after all, you could think that it's a good thing that you see advertising that are relevant and interesting to you, but they can also be used for malicious purposes. They can be used to you know, violate people's privacy, to target misinformation campaigns, uh, to figure out what kind of misinformation people are more likely to respond to. Uh, and so, yeah, unfortunately, uh, these technologies are also used to manipulate opinions. Your research lab has been credited with helping find the origins, for instance, of the Pizzagate hmm. conspiracy theory. Uh, now, that would have been that uh, story that Democrats had run a, a, a child sex slave ring in the basement of a pizza parlor, I believe, in Washington, D.C. And that got a lot of traction. How did you find where that came from? Well, yeah, this story was very popular during the 2016 midterm elections. Yeah. It was one of many, many fake news stories that spread virally at that time. That's when people started to realize how vulnerable social media were and, and what fake news are and what social bots are. Uh, this particular story was one of those that went viral. And of course, it kept evolving in many uh, variations. The narrative changed over time. It was based on some documents that had been hacked from uh, the account of, an e of a democratic uh, mm. operative. And uh, uh, it was an interesting and ridiculous story. You know, funny if it, if it didn't end up with somebody showing up at this pizza parlor with a gun and right. in the gun. Uh, so that's why it became so well known, you know, even uh, sort of in general. And there was a lot of interest in understanding where it was coming from. Uh, so one reporter, um, some investigator, actually a group of investigative reporters were doing research on this and uh, asked for help. And we've been collecting a lot of uh, data from Twitter uh, for research purposes, and we make it available to researchers at Indiana University and mm. to the extent that we can also outside of the university. Um, and. Um, and so we mined through that data to try to look at, to look for the earliest instances of versions of that story that were spreading on, on Twitter. Last summer in the journal Nature, an author, Kate Starbird, wrote an article under the headline, Disinformation's Spread, Bots, Trolls, and All of Us. Now here's a quote from her uh, article, audiences become willing but unwitting collaborators, that is, in these campaigns of disinformation. We are participating. Kate Starbert is a great colleague at the University of Washington. I admire her work. And uh, she's studying uh, this um, 
you know, phenomenon of the spread of misinformation and how people participate in it. And, and she's absolutely right. We are all uh, contributing to the problem. And because we want to believe certain things. Well, for various reasons, yes. But because we believe things or because we want to signal our agreement with it yeah. or our anger or our disgust or our upset or our excitement, we want to share things with our friends and followers. And so we see something and we, it's so easy. One click or one tap on your screen and now you've taken that and shared it among your 100, 200, 500 friends or followers on Twitter. It gives me power to do that. Yes, and uh, and it's 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 very. First of all, the platforms make it so easy, so yeah. frictionless. Yeah, and also they're designed to make sure that the things that you're more likely to react to are you're also more likely to see. Yeah, that's an example where machine learning, data mining, artificial intelligence can be used for that. Platforms know what. I'm going to be excited about, what yeah. I'm going to be mad about. And they know what are the things that are most likely to be clicked on by me specifically because they know everything that I share, the things that I write, they know my friends, they know everything about me and my family, my relationships. And so they can predict with pretty high accuracy what are the things that are more, I'm more likely to engage with. And the ranking algorithms is designed to show me those. So everybody sees the things that they're more likely to react to. And so when we see a picture or a headline, even though many times those are completely misleading, uh, I react to, I'm, I'm mad, I'm, I'm excited, I'm afraid. And right. The easiest thing that I can do is share that with my friends. Right. I don't want to be alone that. in this. Yeah, exactly. And most people do that without even reading the article. And uh, there is research by by some colleagues of ours at uh, Notre Dame University, for example, showing that on on some social media, people are more likely to vote or uh, or to like things without even reading. So wow. people react to the image and to the headline. Right. And even if the article is accurate, very often the headline may be misleading. Um, so take your favorite news today. I don't care what it is. And then look at an article on Fox News and an article on the New York Times about it. Probably those articles are quite accurate. Yeah. But the headlines are going to tell completely opposite stories. Right. Completely opposite stories because they focus on an angle. And often they're not, the headlines are not written by the reporter who wrote the article. And their intent is to get people to read the article. But the side effect is that people who see that headline on social media, they will get angry or upset or excited about it, yeah. and they will share it. And most people, all they're going to see is the headline or the image. Is this what we're talking about when we're talking about low-information voters, that I, you haven't delved deeply into an issue? Y yes, I think so. I, I think that most voters, unfortunately, are like that. Few uh -huh. people read, you know, entire articles and few people right. subscribe to your local paper or, or listen to, you know, different sources of uh, information on, on TV or on the radio. Uh, if your main sources of news is a social media, you're going to have a very biased information diet. Right. Even if those articles are accurate they are still going to be biased. They're going to give you a uh, distorted view 
of the world. And you're more likely to see certain things and you're less likely to see other things. And in that way, of course, we are less informed. Recently, you have become the director of the University, Indiana University Observatory on Social Media. What does that group do? The observatory is uh, um, a collaborative effort uh, by our group, uh, myself and a couple of colleagues of mine in the School of Informatics, Computing and Engineering, and some colleagues in the media school. We're all concerned about, of course, the spread of misinformation online, the manipulation of opinions, and we and uh, the observatory is a center that has roughly three goals. One is to uh, expand interdisciplinary, sorry, interdisciplinary research in these areas. Uh, another one is to develop tools and continue the development of tools as we're doing in our lab to detect and counter uh, the manipulation of, of social media inf and information that we are exposed to online. And the third one is to expand educational efforts uh, to help train uh, journalists and technologists that are aware of the vulnerabilities of social media and to uh, you know, to teach them how to recognize misinformation, how to use technology to study online data, and to understand why things are spreading the way that they are, and who are the influencers, and and why do certain pieces of information spread virally, and what can be done to counter misinformation. And so we're going to design a new master program in computational and data journalism around around these themes. Mm. And so the observatory, we're very happy because it was recently funded by a very generous grant by the Knight Foundation. Uh huh as well as Indiana University. So that's the, the Knight people who were newspaper owners at one time. Yes, that's right. And now there is a foundation in their name that supports a lot of uh, research uh, in, in news. And uh, in, in this case, they're interested in supporting research on, on uh, a healthy democracy and how technology can be used to you know, to attack it or to defend it. And so they're supporting our uh, our observatory. Now, you mentioned that the observatory is coming up with a, a few tools that can be of uh, great value in figuring out this morass. Now, one of them is called BotSlayer. What's BotSlayer, Phil? BotSlayer is the latest tool that we have released. In fact, it's in active development. We're working on it right now. Uh, it is a tool that is designed to help especially journalists, but also researchers and uh, you know, civil society organizations to set up their own pipeline to collect, study, and visualize um, narratives and, uh, that are evolving online. And hopefully to... Day to day, moving along, mm -hmm. how the story even, grows. Even hour by hour, ah. minute by minute, uh -huh. what is spreading online, and especially what are those narratives that seem to be supported in an inorganic way by social bots or uh -huh. by accounts that are coordinated in order to push or promote a certain narrative. So it is a tool that is uh, designed to make it easier for people to detect basically in real time uh, coordinated uh, influence or manipulation campaigns on, on social media. So if you look at how something is spreading, it may give you an indication that this ain't the real thing. 
Yes, although we, and in fact anybody, nobody's able to look at a, a piece of news or a piece of text and say this is false. Only uh -huh. humans, journalists, fact checkers yes. are able to do that. It's a very hard and, and uh, labor intensive job. There are efforts to develop machine learning techniques to automate this, but uh, they don't work uh, at this time, at least they don't work well. However, we study the ways in which information propagates and, and what are the accounts that are pushing some information. And in that way, we're able to detect when things look suspicious. For example, if you tell me there is this article from your website, what did you call it? True News? The True News Service or service, what have you. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know if it's true or false. I don't know if it's reliable. But if you, you tell me that this particular article is being shared by 100 accounts that are all tweeting at 2,400 tweets a day, Ooh. or that are all tweeting the same link to the same article, uh -huh. they're all retweeting the same account, maybe the account associated with that uh, website or they're all sharing similar pictures, or they are in some way coordinated. They're tweeting maybe at the same time, like yeah. within one second of each other, or they're using the same sequence of hashtags. That indicates then that human beings aren't doing this, correct? There are certainly human beings who are running the show, Yeah, but this, all of these accounts are not associated with real human beings. Right. They're probably inauthentic accounts that are controlled by a single entity, that is trying to create the appearance that there are many human beings disseminated this. And in so doing, they're trying to trick people because of course people think, oh, other people are posting this. Must and be so, right. And also the algorithms of the platforms because they respond to this. They say, oh, there's a lot of accounts sharing this particular link. It must be interesting. Let me put it on the feed of other people. Let me increase its priority. Let's, let, let me rank it to the top of the feed. And so these kind of inauthentic accounts, whether they are automated or run by a single person, so all the tweets may be generated by a person, except that that person is running a large number of accounts. Yeah. So yeah. the software may not be used to run the accounts automatically or autonomously, but it's run to create the appearance that there are many people who are pushing a particular idea or narrative. And so if we can detect that kind of coordination, then we can help people detect this, this kind of manipulation early on. My guest this week is Phil Menzer. He's a professor of computer science and informatics at the Luddy School of Informatics. Phil, I want to tell you that, oh, a couple of years ago, I just ditched my smartphone. I went back to a flip phone. And the reason I did that was because I didn't feel like being tied to social media and the internet and manipulated did I do myself a disservice? Not necessarily. Different people will, you know, can take different strategies. And so I think it, what you did is perfectly fine. Uh, but I don't think that it is necessary for someone to go to that extent in order to, uh, you know, protect the information that they access or, or, or you know, avoid being manipulated. Uh, by following some simple rules of thumbs. Uh, even people can continue to use social media and yet decrease the likelihood that they, that they are manipulated. I, for example, use Facebook and Twitter. Uh, well, Twitter more for professional reasons, Facebook for mostly for family reasons. Yeah. And 
I find it is so useful to keep in contact with family and right. pictures of family. And I think that it would be a pity to give up on that, on such a useful tool, uh, because we are afraid of being manipulated. But of course, uh, you have to be careful. So mm -hmm. I get a lot of people who say, become my friend or follow me. And I try to be very careful and only uh, create connections with people that I know personally and that I know who they are. Also, I don't share things unless I have read them. And yes. I'm quite sure that they are accurate. And especially if I feel like I'm being angry, I try not to, not to share things. And most importantly, I don't use these social media sources, social media feeds as my main source of news. I prefer to go to my local newspaper or to a newspaper that, or a radio station or TV station that I trust yeah, and, uh, and that I know is run by professional journalists who use journalistic standards. And I try to use that as my source of news because I know that even if the sources that I see on my social media feed, like I said before, even if they're accurate, still the selection is very biased. So I don't think you have to give up on your smartphone. I don't think you have to give up on social media, but you definitely should be careful about how you use them. Phil, here's the million-dollar question. We're aware that we were misled during the 2016 election, but now we have a 2020 election that we're just about ready to start with the primaries next month. Are we safer from this misleading information now than we were in 2016? We are somewhat safer. We are safer from the kind of misinformation that was spreading virally in 2016. Uh, platforms have stepped up their efforts to take down inauthentic accounts, mm -hmm. to take down social bots. Uh, they have taken some steps to fact check uh, some articles, Facebook, for example, and to demote articles that have been debunked. And they have taken some steps to be careful about who posts ads. But in other ways, uh, we also know that uh, we may be still very vulnerable. Uh, first of all, there are more sophisticated attacks. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the attacks that we talked about a lot in the context of the 2016 elections were coming mainly from Russia. But yeah. now we know that the technology so easy can be used by other foreign actors as well as domestic. And we know that these techniques are now used almost routinely by many campaigns. They've been used in elections all over the world. They're used by campaigns in the US. And um, we know that despite the increasing efforts of the, of the platforms, there's a lot of stuff that they can't detect. Uh, they are at literally flooded by millions, hundreds of millions or billions of inauthentic accounts. There are entire factories in developing countries where people stand in front of walls of cell phones creating fake accounts. Wow. And these accounts are then sold on the market. It's a commodity. And so it is very easy for people to create fake websites, to create accounts. And even if those accounts get detected, then you can create new ones. Filippo Phil Menzer, he's the professor of computer science and informatics at the Luddy School of Informatics, Computing and Engineering here at Indiana University. Keeping an eye on the internet and social media, Phil, thanks so much for being on Big Talk. Thank you. Thank you.